You are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit Win, Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global marketing lead at Win by night and product manager and university level faculty by day. Hey everyone, and welcome to another week of Win Win. Around this time last year, I kicked off the very first episode of this podcast with no clue of what was going to come of it, or honestly, what creating a podcast really entailed. Just a year later, with almost 60 episodes out, thousands of downloads from 30 plus countries, and conversations with some of the most prominent women. I'm so proud of the platform that this project has created to help close the gender gap in innovation leadership through the means of communication and content creation. You'll hear all about it on today's episode, but the truth is, I started this podcast because I had a very difficult time breaking into this industry, and I wanted to learn from the best, the women who broke through the noise, the women who succeeded against the odds. Never in a million years did I think that I would get so lucky to get the chance to ask my most burning questions as I navigate through my day-to-day career to some of the most brilliant minds of the industry. In fact, as I've actually entered the industry and spent the last year grappling with those sticky, complex innovation questions in my own role, I've had even more questions for the women that have come on here. In honor of the one-year launch, I decided to share a bit of my own story and the journey to becoming a woman in innovation and now having the chance to mentor so many other amazing young women exploring this industry. One of my good friends and Win colleagues, Gabby Andrade, who's a newly minted fellow product manager and Win's very own global marketing strategist, came on to ask me a few questions and we dive into all things mid-level career, the future of podcasting, and of course, how I ended up as a product manager at City with no experience in finance or product management. Gabby's own background is so impressive, and she's worked at companies like Landor and Anomaly in innovation and brand strategy, as well as a senior business designer at Coplex, a leading venture studio focused on health. I'm definitely not used to being on the other side of the win-win podcast as a guest, but I loved getting the chance to collaborate with Gabby, and I hope to bring her on more as a guest host on the podcast, so stay tuned for that. And one last thing before I kick it off to the episode, I just wanted to say a huge thank you. If you've tuned in once or 57 times, if you've rated or shared this podcast with anybody, if you've given constructive feedback or a pat on the shoulder in the last year, I appreciate every gesture, big and small. Thank you for letting me share the stories of the women changing our world every Monday, or in this case, Tuesday, and play a small part in your own perception of innovation, gender, and a career. Here's to the next year of the Win-Win Podcast. Hi, Gabby. Welcome to the Win-Win Podcast. Hi, Zoya. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for having me this time because it is a special episode. We are celebrating one year of the Win-Win Podcast and I I get to hand over the mic to you metaphorically and uh, talk about all things my win trajectory and my career trajectory. So thank you for having me on the podcast. Thank you. I am so, so excited to be here and to help listeners learn more about the incredible person behind the voice that they listen to every Monday. We have so much to talk about today. Of course, your incredible career, 
your experiences innovating in highly regulated industries, and of course, the Win-Win podcast. We cannot forget that since this is (laughs) truly the anniversary episode. So to kick us off, let's dive into your career. As listeners probably know by day, you're a product manager at Citibank. I recently accepted a new role as a product manager to start up here in Phoenix, so I'm selfishly so excited to talk to you about your career in product management so far. So to start, what initially drew you to the product world and how did you end up in product management specifically? Yeah, I think when I envisioned my career when I was younger, when people would tell me like, oh yeah, my career is a winded road, you never end up doing what you studied in college, I would always nod and be like, yeah, totally. But in my mind, I I told myself like my career is going to be linear and uh, spoiler alert, it was not. Um, I started my career as a chief of staff in the Israeli intelligence. Um, All Israelis go to the army or most of them do and I ended up getting this amazing opportunity that I was really not qualified for as an 18-year-old with no prior experience. There, I really got a ton of exposure around emerging technologies like blockchain and artificial intelligence, which back in 2013 was like not as uh, widely discussed as it is today. What I realized I wanted to do was what I thought was strategy. And that, to me, that was like seeing where the gaps were, problem-solving and implementing solutions on a large scale. And so when I got to New York, I did my undergrad at Parsons School of Design and Strategic Design and Management. And by the time I'd graduated, I'd done 10 internships in luxury fashion, uh, Givenchy, Chanel, Moda Operandi, a bunch of different companies. And yet I still felt like I am not doing this role that I had dreamed of. It feels like this role is not even real. And the closest thing I felt like I could do to it was actually marketing. So I spent two years in digital advertising, doing, you know, advertising for some of those same luxury companies, as well as other industries, including financial services. I still felt like there was more to be done there, which is really when I was exposed to the world of innovation consulting and did my master's in order to help me get my foot in the door. I was finishing up my master's. I had several offers from innovation consultancies, and all of them got rescinded because it was March 2020, and I had to go back to the drawing board, which is really when I uh, found out, you know, City was hiring and really looked into the product management role and career and realized that this is actually everything I'd wanted to do. And now I've been doing it for a year, and, you know, I, I... could never do another role at this point is how it feels for me. Amazing. Yeah. It's, I, I think the product management role is so unique in that so many product managers have different backgrounds and kind of come to mm-hmm. the role differently, which is really exciting. Were you interested in financial services before joining Citibank or was that kind of a passion you found while working there? Honestly, not at all. And I think the reason for that was because to me, Financial services meant finance, and finance to me was a bunch of boys who were good at math and went to work in investment banking, and I didn't understand what that had to do with me because I was always more of a creative person, but I also didn't see what role financial services and finances as a whole played in my life, and I think that's kind of a rude awakening I had as somebody who realized the importance of investing, the importance of managing my money successfully, and how actually having financial freedom is the ability to assert my equality as a woman. I really didn't 
have any desire to work in the industry because I didn't really feel like it was a human industry. But um, a friend of mine, Maria, who's the co-founder of Women in Innovation, had worked at City and really changed my perspective on the industry and the opportunity there was in innovation. When I got to City, having the opportunity to work on the partnerships team, to work on a Google product as well as other products, I realized that this industry is so, so ripe for innovation and financial services and money plays such a fundamental role in all of our lives. So I was proven wrong. Absolutely. It is a fascinating industry and definitely one that feels kind of sterile and cold. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's why innovation is so necessary for, for financial services. So you mentioned financial services or finance feeling kind of like a boys club. When you reflect, when did you first experience gender impacting your career? I was very lucky to grow up in a family where my parents told me, do whatever you want, just be the best at it. And I do think that caveat has like definitely has its own issues and and challenges. But I never thought I can't do XYZ because I'm a woman or this is off limits for me. And I'm really happy that I was raised in almost that sort of ignorance uh, because I lived my life authentically and never thought about my gender in the workplace. I really reflected on my gender when I actually came across women in innovation when I was getting my master's at Columbia and I saw the fellowship and the interviewer Lauren Wong actually asked me that exact question and I honestly had to take a second and think about it because I definitely experienced it in unconscious ways to give a specific example when I was in the Israeli army I was one of two girls in my unit and I always felt like I was called out for asking questions or challenging the status quo and I felt like that was really because of my gender and not because I was in the military because it felt like others had the permission to ask or challenge while I did not. I did have some incredible, incredible mentors and managers that were men there, but I think overall the system was not entirely conducive to the differences between communication styles between men and women. Absolutely. And how did you, how did you manage that? What was your work around or what did it teach you? I mean, honestly, I don't think I managed it well at all. And I'm really happy that I had that experience before going to college. My older brother, Michael, and I always talk about how lucky we are that we had this mandated two, three years before starting college and going to corporate America because I think that I was just so emotionally torn by it. I wasn't able to be my best self. I wasn't able to perform. And so actually what it taught me is the importance of equality and the importance of having women be able to live their lives authentically and men too because I think if you can't be yourself in a work environment you're not going to succeed at work which is why for me it's always really important to mentor girls and that's why I get involved with women in innovation and a big reason why I started this podcast too. And, and, and you've talked a bit about kind of your experience in the Israeli army your experience in um, the master's programs studying communication at Columbia. Are there any unexpected skills or experiences that you found to be surprisingly relevant to the product management role? Yeah, you know, I've gone back and forth on whether I should have gotten an MBA, and I really love the program that I did. And as you mentioned, it's a strategic communications program. I I can also share that every time I've ever interviewed for a product-related role, it's been the question that's been asked, why do you have 
a communications degree. And my reasoning for getting it was because I did study strategic design and business management in my undergrad and I wanted to round out my experience. And the truth is that people think that when you're a product manager, you're the CEO of the product. And fundamentally, that's not true because there is an actual CEO and you have to actually convince people to do work for you and the product without directly managing them or them having to report to you. And so I learned a ton about persuasion and communications frameworks. And I actually got to take classes in the Columbia Business School as well as the Columbia Technology Management Program. So honestly, to me, communication and learning to formally communicate is is so huge. Um, we have an episode coming out with Nina Ferraton from Forbes, and actually the skill set that she says is most important as you get more senior in product is communication. So um, I definitely agree with. And what's the good in having an amazing solution to a problem if you can't communicate it and get people on board? A hundred percent. Obviously, Citibank exists in a highly regulated industry, financial service industry. Now that you've been in your current role for about a year, what are some of the biggest challenges that you faced innovating in the financial service industry? I came with this bias that innovation is this magical, beautiful thing. And my brother and I used to watch the Apple Developers Conference since we were kids. I mean, it was literally our Super Bowl. I don't think our household ever witnessed a sport. And so to me, seeing these new products and seeing the innovation in the industry has always been exciting to me. But I think when you're a regulator and you are the person responsible for ensuring that this doesn't harm customers, citizens, and the financial system and infrastructure, I think anything new, innovative, unheard of is very scary for you. Right. And so I think the biggest takeaway that I've learned is that it's really important to bring people on the journey with you and and not see regulation and compliance as this negative thing, but instead you really have to play the role of the educator and the collaborator. And it really has to be a team sport where everybody really understands and acknowledges the risks, yet is able to accept them and keep moving forward with them. I think a quick example to give is like, digital apps for banking, right? I mean, the the crazy things that can happen, like somebody could literally get into your account and pull out all the money, right? That's not a reason for us to not be able to look at our balances on our phone or be able to, you know, send somebody money, right? So at a certain point, we had to get over that risk, but still account for it. So that's that's really kind of what I've learned and, and how I see myself maneuvering it in the in the future. And financial services, a lot like healthcare, other industries that are really important. You can't really just move fast and break things, quote unquote, mm-hmm. because it's, you know, you're, you're managing and impacting people's lives. So that, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. In your beginning of, of that last answer, you talked a little bit about your definition of innovation and how it's really changed from kind of being a magical solution that can fix things quickly um, to maybe something else. So how would you define innovation today and what does innovation mean to you? Say that innovation is where creativity and novel thinking meets commercialization. The reason that that's changed is because kind of like you mentioned, Gabby, there's no use in creating something that you can't communicate to the end user or the end user is excited by. Right. So to me, innovation has changed from being really more human centric and about 
the excitement that the people have using the innovation. Cliche example, Steve Jobs' power was being able to make a keyboard represent the future or creativity when it was really just a keyboard. And so I really, really believe in having a product that works. And I think the Elizabeth Holmes trial has taught us the importance (laughs) of that. But But I do believe that if people aren't able to connect to the innovation on a personal level or buy into it, I don't think it's an innovation. Absolutely. And and also within that, you know, usability. Steve Jobs, it, you know, it was the keyboard of the future, but it was also perfectly designed for, for people. Sure. So I, I think yeah. um, it's a really interesting point. So considering that, where do you see the biggest gaps in the financial services industry today? Where do you think the industry needs to go next? In the past, when I've asked people, where do you bank and why do you bank there? The majority of the people have said, oh, well, my parents were clients of presumably City, right? <laughs> and that's where they bank. Ultimately, consumer banking is really seen as a commodity, whereas other industries do have this, again, emotional connection and people are excited about something like you know the brand of their phone or the brand of their computer. And so we're already seeing these disruptors come Mm -hmm. into the space. And we are seeing that companies like Klarna, for example, have an incredibly strong brand and a beautiful product, but a product that also problem solves. Elevest is another example of a really beautiful product that has functionality relevant to an audience that has been underserved and underrepresented in the space. So what I really see is financial services companies and service providers really leaning in and thinking about that human element and how they can step out of just performing the mundane financial services that we all know and think about and really thinking about the new ways and the roles that banks and financial services institutions can play in the lives of the consumers who they serve. Sure. Interestingly, the two examples that you gave there, Elvest and Klarna, both started from a core idea that was not a financial institution already. How do you see that challenge playing out with Citibank kind of already existing and having such a presence and needing to innovate for the future? I mean, I'm so proud to be a part of this organization. I really am. And I think the reason for it is City is the bank that wants to innovate and break things. They really, really do. And I can share that by working in this company for over a year now. For example, the partnerships team that I'm a part of. I mean, we are really looking at how we can collaborate with unexpected players in the space and outside of the space. There's opportunity to create units and companies within the larger companies because I do think as somebody from a marketing background I think the brand and the perception is a really big part of a consumer connecting to a product my team was formerly a part of the city fintech group and so a lot of what we do is really trying to challenge the way things are already done and build offshoot products or services or experiences to really connect with our existing consumers or new consumers in a different way. And I will take this opportunity to say that we are hiring a ton and our focus is really hiring people from unexpected industries and unexpected background. I mean, I'm an example of that. So if you're interested, definitely make sure to message me. You can find me on social media. Love the shameless plug for for hiring. Um, and, and yeah, it's really interesting because I feel like, you know, startups kind of a, a company starting from zero has every opportunity to kind of go whichever direction they want to test and learn easily. Mm -hmm. But 
institutions, large companies have the power behind them to actually get ideas off of the ground. So if you can figure out how to kind of work around some of that muscle memory, I feel like it can it can be really special to see innovation coming out of those those types of companies. And one quick thing to add is we have millions of customers. Like we have so many customers and we are the custodians of their funds. We can't just take a risk and like see if it sticks. We really need to guard the people who have entrusted their financial presence and futures in us. And that's something that I think we all take really seriously. And, And what makes us different from these startups that may be serving a much smaller audience. Absolutely. So because this is an anniversary episode, let's talk about the history of the Win-Win podcast and, and kind of where the, where the podcast is today. Where did the idea come from? The politically correct answer is that I've been an avid podcast listener for years. So I was really excited to bring something like that to the space. The, the real truth of it was, as I mentioned, I had three offers rescinded uh, last summer, and I was in a really big influx point in my life where I wanted to be this in this innovation industry. I fought for it for years. I got this master's degree, put in all the work, and I still felt like I couldn't get my foot in the door, and I really wanted to hear from women that had succeeded in doing so. I literally sat down and thought about what was missing from the market, what would be interesting to ask, and I started pretty much cold emailing a bunch of women, and honestly, they all said yes, and it was just like so clear that there was such a need for this. The Win Win Podcast is absolutely in my rotation of podcasts I listen to every week. Because I appreciate there's just that. So much valuable insight, and I love the conversations that you have with with all of the women. So I'm I'm a true fan. Really excited to talk about it. Thanks, Gabby. What would you say was the most challenging part of getting the podcast off of the ground? I would imagine that there were you know a number of challenges. The logistics you mentioned, getting guests to accept your your invite. What would you say was really the uh, the hardest thing for you to kind of grapple with? Yeah, I think I was a little delusional in the sense that I thought I have conversations with people a million times a week. Like I love meeting people for coffee and asking them questions. I've never been one to shy away to raise my hand in any setting and ask a question. But I really didn't realize what a specific skill set this was as well as that You know, I was really taking this role of a journalist and one more time, that was not my background, right? And so I think there was one aspect of just being able to learn how to listen to the guests and not focus on jumping on to the next question and getting this whole thing over with. So I I edit all the episodes and I do a lot of the behind the scenes work along with our marketing team at Win. So I just think bringing all those pieces together was tough, but I turned to actually one of our podcast guests, Michelle Akadenor, who is the founder and CEO of The Peers Project. And she really guided me through her podcasting 101 course and told me what the best equipment was to get and kind of things to watch out for. And and it really was just so awesome to see another female and a female entrepreneur who was so excited to help me get this thing off the ground. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I will say as a first time podcast interviewer, I resonate deeply with it feeling <laughs> maybe slightly uncomfortable at first to kind of flex a different muscle and, and do something very different than what you do in, in your day job. Um, I'll say so myself, but you're doing a great job. And, you know, I'm keeping myself on my toes because I see you coming from my job. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thanks, Soya. Just just based on this conversation and and knowing you and talking so much about the podcast, it's so clear how much passion you have for it. And I'm 
confident that this is just the beginning for the Win-Win podcast. So I'd love to talk a bit about the future and how do you see the podcast growing and evolving in the months and years to come? I think that it's kind of like a startup. When you're first starting, you're really looking for that product market fit. And frankly, I found it very quickly. I feel there was, you know, a lot of people downloading, a lot of people tuning in. We have listeners from over 30 countries. And it's just amazing to see that it really does resonate, which is why most of these senior women say yes when I ask them to come on. And I literally cold email them. (laughs) And so to me, I almost see it now it's at this growth stage where now that we have a captive audience, and now that we have companies that are interested in collaborating with us and coming on here, how do we expand that product offering and take the content to the next level, right? So if you listen, you know that we talk about gender and innovation as an industry, as well as the guest career trajectory. But I feel like we could also be talking about the various aspects of innovation as subject matter and maybe bringing on some academics to talk about use cases and other things and definitely just want to expand the access to this industry that often feels like a black box. Absolutely. And I think that same mindset and mentality is really happening across the podcast industry. There's so Mm -hmm. much innovation happening in this space overall. What are you most excited about when you look at the broader industry of, of podcasting? The most exciting thing is the interest that large technology companies have brought to this area. And for me, that's exciting is because they have the resources and the product genius minds to really innovate on the existing format. If you think about it, podcasting as it stands today is not very different from radio as a format. And so it's been exciting to see companies like Apple and Google and Amazon to really invest in those areas. Even Netflix has recently opened an entire podcasting audio department. And so, for example, Apple is now creating subscriptions and uh, also ad-free listening, as well as bonus episodes and ways to really really kind of tip the creators. And and so I'm really excited to see how podcasting can be more and more productized. And there's a lot to be done here. So I'm really excited to see what Win can do with that and seeing, you know, what platforms can we really expand our content to. So exciting. Yeah, such an exciting time for the industry. And of course, for for the Win Win podcast. And I am excited to continue listening. Who is your dream guest? If you could think of anyone in the world that you'd want to talk to, who would that person be? I would have to say Melinda Gates because to me, she really is the epitome of innovation. A lot of the times people saw her as Bill Gates' wife, uh, which she no longer even is, but she (laughs) was one of the first employees of Microsoft. You know, she has an incredible career trajectory, and she's also really expanded herself across industries. Her Pivot Ventures has invested in some of the most exciting companies. The way that she thinks about poverty in relation to birth control, to me, is really fascinating. And I've watched her speak when she was actually recording for the Harvard Business Review podcast. And I think she is my definition of innovation because of how eloquently she's able to connect and communicate to the people about the importance of innovation and the innovation work that she's doing. So I'm just a big, big fan and have always dreamed of having a conversation with her. She, yeah, she would be amazing. I would love to hear that conversation. Yeah. Um, So (laughs) Melinda, if you are listening, please email Zoya at womeninnovation.co and schedule your interview. (laughs) 
So obviously we met through Win years ago, and I know we both had such amazing experiences being a part of the organization and specifically a part of the marketing team. Looking back at the at your specific Win experience, what role has Win played in your career? It's kind of multifaceted. For the first part of that, I would say it was really the exposure to the innovation industries and understanding what the landscape of the industry is and the landscape of jobs. Like I said, when I was coming in, I thought strategy was the only innovation job and the only way that innovation manifested itself. And I learned about so many of the other companies and the way that they approach innovation. It also really gave me the platform to attain those skills that I perhaps was missing. That's huge because a lot of the times women aren't judged on their potential. They're judged on their experience, unlike men. And so my experience had been digital advertising and the Israeli army and luxury fashion. And that didn't exactly sit well with any sort of product or innovation recruiters that couldn't see beyond what was on the paper. Just having the opportunity to lead marketing globally for WIN, to start this podcast, to get involved with the Pioneers report that we had released and now the WIN Relay cohort. I feel like it's really given me the opportunity to prove myself as a non-junior employee. And Gabby, you and I talk about this all the time. And it's the second part of my answer is this idea of being in the mid-stage of my career, which I've always felt very strange about what that means because I've led people, I've managed people, I've contributed to organizations in a major way. Wynn has actually shown me how I can really level up those skills and, and enabled me to really know what it is that I have to do to get to that next level of my career. I ab- absolutely empathize with that. And I know when I was looking to get into the in- innovation industry, and being rejected from role after role. I didn't even know mm-hmm. what experience I was missing. And I know you and totally. I have talked about this a lot, but having those women and having that network to go to to say, what am I missing? What am I doing wrong? How do I get to where I want to go? And what does that place look like? Has mm-hmm. been was absolutely pivotal in me getting kind of anywhere close to innovation or, or product in my career. So to close out, as you always do, Where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? In a month, I will have hit my one year with City, which is really exciting and crazy to believe. You know, when I came to this role and to this company, I really didn't know what to expect. And I think reflecting on the last year, I'm so excited that this is how my career has turned out so far. And For the next year, I'm excited to launch a lot of the products that I've been working on since I came to the company. I'm really lucky because my manager gave me multiple opportunities and multiple products to work on in my first year, and I think that that's really unique. So big shout out to Sarah Fleischman for giving me those opportunities and instilling that trust in me. So I hope that in the next year, I'm able to prove to her that that was a good idea. In the next year, I also think that with the pandemic, People don't really want to be doing a lot of the financial services related transactions and capacities that they were doing in person. They really want to make sure that those are digitized. And I think as a major bank, we want to be bringing those experiences to our consumers. And then I think in 10 years, it's kind of like what I said earlier, I really believe that banks will be humanized and the financial services institutions that do find a way to truly connect and service their customers and customers that perhaps they didn't serve before. 
those are the companies that are going to be the innovators. And I think that the other piece that I'm really hopeful about is that I do think financial services companies have a responsibility to ensure that their customers are making the best choices for them. And a big part of that is financial literacy and and financial education. And so I really believe and hope that financial services institutions will not only be supporting that for their customers, but they will be enabling their customers to have more knowledge and, and giving them that knowledge. As for myself, I really believe that my my mission in life is to really be challenging companies, helping them build out new functions or services or even companies within companies that they perhaps didn't consider. To me, that's a really meaningful part of the innovation industry. Well, I have no doubt that you will achieve that dream, and I know you're already doing that for Citibank. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on the podcast and and having a chance to interview you. It's just been an amazing experience. Thank you so much for coming on to the Win Win Podcast as a host. I really do attribute so much of the success that I've seen in the last few years to our friendship and the ways that we've collaborated. So I'm really excited to see how we're going to rise together in this industry. Me too. Thanks, Oya. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.